welcome to the first episode of Learning with Leaders in 2022. Um, I'm pretty sure this will be a great year. You will be able to listen to Daniela Kerkhoff from Deutsche Post DHL. She will be sharing some very interesting insights around uh, talent attraction, talent development, how important it is for the logistics industry to also support women leaders and women talent, and also why working in the logistics industry, especially for young professionals, is very inspiring. So stay tuned, enjoy this episode. Bye-bye. Welcome to Learning with Leaders this morning, Daniela. How are you doing? Very good. How are you, Paco? Excellent. It's an excellent start into the week. Thank you very much. Um, Daniela, um, I'm so glad uh, that I have you uh, with, with us today. Uh, and let's right away start into um, who are you and why are you entitled to talk with me about that topic, right? <laughs> I mean, um, Learning with Leaders is always very interested in addressing and trying to understand what added value can uh, the, the conversation partners share for young professionals. And um, I think we are spot on in having you today, uh, Daniela, uh, with all the different uh, career steps, with all your insights into uh, the logistics industry. Um, I'm really glad to have you uh, with us this morning. Is there anything you would like to highlight with regards to your past career? Oh, thank you very much, Paco, for sharing uh, this lovely welcome. Now, I would say not really, perhaps just a few words. So I studied business administration already with a focus on um, freight forwarding and logistics. And then, as you rightly said, I had um, a career journey starting in the operational business of logistics and freight forwarding, really, but then also key account management, marketing roles, um, along with corporate development and strategy development. And uh, yeah, for the past uh, six years, actually, I've been in HR and uh, really enjoying that field. Excellent. And now uh, you are responsible for talent management. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm uh, responsible for talent management, talent attraction and employee engagement at DHL Global Forwarding and Freight. So, it's a global role, um, yeah, for our division at DHL. Excellent. So mm -hmm. when you look back only a little bit, a little bit um, um, mm -hmm. into the starting of your career, um, do you remember any impactful experience, any relevant advice uh, you received uh, when you were a younger professional and how did it influence your career? Good, good question. Um, I would even say, Paco, it even went um, a step earlier before I even started to study. And I would really say it was super fundamental for my career journey mm. um, because I, I loved learning languages and I loved traveling. And I clearly had that wish that I want to see the world. And then I talked um, to our teacher at school who actually asked me, Daniela, what do you want to do after school? And I replied, oh, yeah, I'm going to study languages. I want to become a translator. I could envision working at the European Parliament. And then she stared at me and said, no, I can't see that. You're such an extrovert. You just want to translate what others say. I can't see that. And then I asked her, yeah. 
but what shall I do then? Um, and she said, why don't you join an international company where you can speak the languages and you could study business administration. And that's what I did. I studied business administration already with a focus on freight forwarding and logistics. Um, and at the same time did internships at a global freight forwarding company. So I could already see how I could then apply those uh, languages in practice afterwards as well. Wow. So what an impactful and wise recommendation your teacher gave you. Yeah, so that was before I even started studying. If I can share a second one, because that one I think I feel really strongly about, and that was more related to any other decision I took then later on throughout my entire career. And one, I think my favorite one, when I'm uh, mentoring um, other colleagues today on career journeys as well, and that is actually related to taking risks. So I was in my very early days in my career, worked as a marketing manager in the German head office, and I was actually approached, you would say, was the head office of our head office, if I was interested to join the corporate development team there. I looked at the role profile and I felt, well, they look for an investment banker. This is not me. I mean, um, interpretive balance sheet, working on M&A projects. This is not a role for a freight forwarder, I felt. And then I discussed this opportunity with a few colleagues. Obviously, I, I need that sort of brainstorming. And then one of those colleagues said, Daniela, you always live like, and it's a German proverb. I'm going to translate it in a second, but uh, you will understand, Paco. It's, der Spatz in der Hand ist besser als die Taube auf dem Dach. You always have this mindset, which kind of would translate something like, the sparrow in the hand is better than the dove on the roof. If you think like that, you will never progress. If you don't take jobs which are at least half a shoe size bigger than what you feel comfortable in, you will stay where you are. If, you, if you're fine with that, that's fine, but don't kind of be unhappy if that is not the case. So I thought, okay, no, I really want to progress. And I basically love learning new things. So I really pushed myself out of that comfort zone and went for the role. And before I then accept it, and I've got a very good, and that's the third bit, um, my mother has always been a really good advisor to me. And she said, well, what is the worst which could happen? Perhaps you want to write that down. And then I thought, yeah, the worst thing what can happen is they will fire me. But at that time, I was 26 and I thought, oh yeah, time is still long, I'll find another job. And uh, yeah, I think was most probably one of the most impactful learnings I had on my career journey, taking that super, super stretch kind of joining such a role where I, I didn't have any background at all. Very interesting. And um, how companies approach this, um, let's say, philosophy of allowing people to fail, which, by the way, for me, fail is first attempt in learning. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I think it's extremely important, especially in talent attraction. And by the way, in preparation of this um, podcast with you, I had a look into a, um, a round table um, of inside logistics from 2019. Mm -hmm. And there was one p uh, participant saying that his ambition was to convert logistics into less of an accidental career choice 
but more a desirable career path. Mm-hmm. And I think that might describe also very nicely what you are currently doing, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We absolutely do that. Yeah. Yes. And mm-hmm. you were talking about, you know, why you were, let's say, also one of the motivations why you came into the logistics industry and also your attraction for, you know, foreign cultures, other cultures and traveling. So. Uh, still, I mean, we are in, in the midst of, of the corona pandemic. Yeah. Um, is it still something where young talents are driven to the desire to work abroad and taking those risks to embrace a different culture? What is your view on that? Well, I mean, first of all, I mean, if you join uh, logistics and freight, war- freight forwarding, there are multiple opportunities to go abroad, right? I mean, we'd If you look at LinkedIn profiles, for instance, of uh, colleagues who work in that industry, many of them um, have worked abroad and there's always an opportunity. So I would say I was most probably right placed with joining such an industry with that desire, right? And I would say working abroad is um, still definitely a key milestone also when it comes to career paths uh, because it Obviously, um, and I think this doesn't only go for freight forwarding and logistics. I mean, it broadens the horizon, right? Um, It helps developing intercultural competencies. It also very practically, I would say, helps you step out of the comfort zone because you're simply very far away from home, right? And I think it absolutely helps developing personally and professionally. And um, yeah, working in an international environment like we do at DHL, we see lots of people joining us already with experience from abroad, but also that desire, what you earlier mentioned, right, Um, to kind of see the world with us. And I personally was offered that opportunity at a certain stage as well. So I was offered um, a role in the US when I was in my mid-20s. And then, unfortunately, I had to refuse it because my former boyfriend, he got super sick and he needed my support so I was not able to take that step and it was a a big yeah it was a big shame for me and that opportunity then never came up again so besides really extensive business travel um, that kind of um, opportunity of living abroad hasn't come up I mean I still have quite a few years uh, so far as it comes at a certain stage so my recommendation would be also if you if you really have that desire what you mentioned before go and take it um, it is not I would say a showstopper if you don't do it mm-hmm. um, our jobs have also become very international and you mentioned rightly Paco you mentioned COVID right I mean, we nowadays we live on Zoom, we live on Teams, um, and I would say the nature of the freight forwarding industry. And I think uh, I watched also one of the podcasts which you did with Frauke Heistermann, right? She mentioned that nicely as well. I mean, freight forwarding logistics, I mean, it's in our DNA to be connected. Um, so, I mean, I personally, on a daily basis, my day job is to work with all countries in the world across all time zones with very different cultural backgrounds. So I would say there's not a one size fits all. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, It's not kind of a prerequisite necessarily to go abroad. But if you've got that desire, um, go for it. Yeah, so it's more about attitude as well, right? Um, So of course, I mean, having an international experience helps. But as you rightly said, it's not a showstopper. 
So if you bring the right attitude, uh, then it's uh, and, and you will detect the right attitude, obviously, in, in, in PE yeah. people. And if I may just add, because sometimes we hear, yeah, you have to have lived in these and that country. I mean, what we also see is, and that's why it's not a one size fits all. And I think it really has to fit to personal circumstances as well. That's why I shared uh, that example as well. I mean, we also see young people say, no, I don't want to do that. I want to stay close to friends and family. I'm, I don't kind of want that. I love working in an international environment, but I don't want to move into another country. Yeah, I fully get that. I was not like this, but I fully get what you say. <laughs> um, another question which uh, I personally asked myself also uh, a long time during my career is, mm -hmm. um, do I tend more towards an expert type career or a management type career with, you know, direct reports with, with people uh, reporting into me? So how as a young person, and how do you help those young person to orientate themselves in order to get a better insight into what fits them best and perhaps they also develop throughout the years? Well, I would be really interested in hearing your point of view on that, kind of what your conclusions are on that. But yeah, I would say um, there are already opportunities even before you start working, right? To see if you're into leading people um, or not. I mean, you can explore that, right? You could become a coach for a kids sports team. Uh, we see kind of at least here in the local communities, many doing that or kind of engaging in scout activities, local communities in general. Um, but if you don't do that, I think from my own point of view, what I did in the very early days, I shadowed managers a lot, um, observed really, watched them, exchanged with them on terms of what it means being a leader, mm. what sort of responsibilities come along with it, because it's not just like glory, fame kind of a role. It's, it's also, I mean, there are very specific tasks and expectations are related to that as well. So that way you can perhaps already get an interest whether or an idea whether or not you're interested in that. However, I would say what I observe most probably most is um, practically speaking, this is typically something you really grow into it. I mean, what I oftentimes see is you might lead a topic, right? You might not even have people reporting solid line, right? That's how we call it in DPTHL, right? Solid line, they mm. officially report into you. You might lead a topic where you in, involve colleagues, where you organize something and where you steer others. And there you might already think, oh, is this something I enjoy kind of orchestrating all of these or do I not? And then the way I think I grew into it, I kind of took over one direct report, reporting it to me. And I think that is then a safe environment where you can then see if you like it. And um, I would say there's also, there is no right or wrong, right? Because sometimes mm. it's like, oh, the leadership bit is, that is something what you need to aspire for and what you need to get. There are perfect roles being an expert. And I know quite a few people who detected going into it to say, back to your point, which you said, it's not failure to say, hey, no, I don't enjoy leading. I'm a subject matter expert and I rather really work on my own on my topic, obviously in a team environment, but I don't want to have that responsibility for leading others. Yeah, yeah, I, I can fully connect to this. And uh, 
I would also say that I was, you know, developing long years uh, in more metrics roles and, uh, you know, with no solid light reporting, but we, we both know how important project leadership is as well yeah. and how challenging uh, it is also to convince colleagues where you really have to find the right arguments to convince them. I don't say that if you are a manager with direct reports, it's so much easier to convince your team, but uh, it's a different type of challenge, right? So both, both roles and both experience have their right to be. Yeah, absolutely. Fully agree. So um, you were talking as well from your personal experience that you took some different perspective, different roles in your career. Um, so how, how challenging was it as well, you know, when you took over something which was, you know, completely different from what you did before, like going from, you know, key account management, project management, marketing into HR. Um, wh why is that even possible? Because people might think, yeah, but if I'm an expert in this, how can I be, you know, good in something completely different? Well, I strongly believe in that attitude is more important than experience. And I think I read recently an article where it says, okay, we kind of collectively, as a, let's say, uh, across different companies need to think more like that, more hiring for attitude and um, the willingness to learn and the potential. I think it was the term was used hiring for potential than for experience. And I mean, I've done, um, I would say that a change which I explained earlier, the change from, let's say, a marketing role into corporate development, that was most probably a huge one. Uh, but you bring ex kind of, you bring knowledge along, you bring, um, let's say, the right mindset of learning along. And I think that's the way how you can kind of make moves cross-functionally. The other move which I did was I moved from a strategic role in key account management to a strate strategic role in HR. And then obviously you bring certain tool sets with you, which you can easily apply in a different context. And I think that works really well. And I strongly believe that it is even helpful because you look at things differently. So looking at it from a sales perspective into HR, I think I've seen things differently than some of the colleagues who've always been in HR. So I think that's something where we really would like to foster more kind of more these cross functional moves if people are up for that. I mean, you also, it's obviously also a stretch because you are really kind of stepping out of the comfort zone. And in order to underline what you just said, uh, Daniela, I'm uh, currently reading a book called Grit from Angela <laughs> Duckworth. Mm. Um, and uh, she underlines exactly what you're saying, that talent is a little bit um, overrated. It's much yeah. more about grit you know, perseverance, mm -hmm. resistance, re uh, uh, resilience. And uh, so attitude is really key. So yeah. this connects very nicely with what you said before. Uh, let's slightly change the topic. Let's go into a um, yeah, term uh, very a la mode. Uh, let me put it in French. <laughs> um, diversity and inclusion. So since we started, at least since I started, this topic has grown so much in, in uh, importance, and rightly so. How do you perceive this change of importance of diversity and inclusion? Yeah, 
Um, I, I fully agree, um, Paco. I mean, I've, as mentioned before, I've, I've worked in freight forwarding and uh, logistics um, since the mid-20s, right? It has been quite, quite a long time. And I would say nowadays there is definitely a much bigger focus on the topic. Um, at least in the 90s, um, I think there were people who were very much aware of it, but more kind of intuitively, I would say. Mm -hmm. Nobody talked about this topic when I started um, to work. And um, obviously, I mean, what comes in hand in hand, I mean, I think overall we work much more globally now. We've got all sorts of global social media channels um, where this topic is, let's say, discussed. And um, I think really global companies, international companies, such as Deutsche Post DHL, um, but also many others, I think this topic, when it kind of came up, my perception was it was kind of this fluffy topic, mm. but it is by far not that anymore. So I think people really realize, besides that it is absolutely, um, that's a great to engage in that, that it really leads to bottom line EBIT, positive bottom line EBIT effects. And there are multiple studies out there. You just kind of can Google all the major big consultancy companies. They have looked into that. Diverse teams deliver higher EBIT. Employees are more engaged. Employees um, really are higher in their productivity um, in, in diverse teams. So there is also, I would say, for those who might still say, oh, yeah, it's fluffy. I don't really get it. And there's so much buzz around that there is bottom line um, a result for that. And um, yeah, I think that's that's what uh, people really realize. And uh, that's why it's uh, that, that's why it has such a big focus. So um, I guess part of your job is as well um, to yeah attract and identify talent for Deutsche Post DHL. And um, I mean, when I'm looking back into my career, I certainly in the beginning um, had the tendency to fall into the similarity bias mm -hmm. when I choose, you know, try to attract team members into my team. Mm -hmm. um, and now, I mean, that has completely changed because, I mean, where is really the benefit to attract people who are like me? I go for, of course, people who are complementing, you know, my skills mm -hmm. and my, my uh, expertise. So how do you... Um, support managers in getting the right talents into their teams? Yeah, so, I mean, similarity bias is an interesting topic and it starts with being aware of it. Um, and I think that's already one of the biggest steps, actually, of being aware that um, people might um, tend to go for similarity bias. Because I think, yeah, we... We all have seen, and I mean, Paco, you said that you've experienced this as well. I think it's it's pretty much a natural um, preference to surround yourself with people who are similar to you or who think like you. I mean, it does not necessarily even need to be kind of same age or same look or same kind of having had kind of studied at the same university. I think that's what you sometimes detect as obvious similarity bias, right? But it's also the similarity of thinking. So um, I would say how we can uh, support managers in that is obviously kind of uh, creating the awareness that similarity bias is there. And um, 
to to really also help them during the selection process. So what we typically do is we form diverse panels when we hire people so that you mm. get different views in so that not just the hiring manager, I mean, obviously, ultimately, that person might take the decision, but that we really kind of bring in similar, not similar, different views um, on the same candidate. And I think um, that is um, already helping tremendously because Mm. Um, I mean, there's a lot out there what you can do as well um, in terms of trainings, obviously, supporting the hiring managers. But I would say first, really being aware of it and inviting more people um, to, to the um, uh, selection panel. And I, I also see, see as um, and in, in our company at DPDHL, we uh, we run succession planning meetings. So even before we kind of post a vacancy to think about also internally, because we foster a lot of kind of internal kind of uh, career paths. And just last week, I sat in a succession planning meeting with a very um, a senior group of, um, let's say, it was a leadership team. And they were discussing succession plans. And ISHR was facilitating that discussion. And then there was a succession plan for one individual. And then um, there was a, there were candidates listed for that plan. And then one of the other senior leaders said, hey, tell me, um, the successes which you have listed here, how similar are these in comparison to the incumbent? And then the person who was invited to speak to those was like, oh, yeah, yeah, very similar. It will be, it will be fine. We'll continue the same path. And then the other person looked at this person and said, well, is this what we want? I thought we want to drive change here. We want to kind of get something differently. So we really need to review the succession plan because if we're just kind of just right, mm -hmm. um, get the same. It's not what we want, at least not for this position. So I think there is, again, there is not always kind of right or wrong. There might be areas where you say, no, we're really looking for similar, um, let's say, um, people as well. But um, I think it is there is also awareness um, of changing this. And I, I'm fully with you, Paco, when I look for people in my team, I really make sure that we've got different views and that people kind of don't just tick like me. Yeah, it's so enriching and it's so inspiring to have, uh, have yourself surrounded with, with different types of, of people and personalities. Yeah. I fully agree. Um, Daniela, let's talk again within this let's say diversity and inclusion topic but a, a little broader uh, it's also a very hot topic it's would you say that women are still a underrepresented in logistics and b especially in leadership positions well, Paki, you know, that is a topic which is very close to my heart. I mean, I love this industry, right? Otherwise, I would have not joined it. Uh, but mm. yes, I would say yes, when it comes to logistics and freight forwarding in general, it's typically um, a still relatively male-dominated um, industry, especially, mm. I would say, when it comes to leadership positions. So mm. I think that, that that's uh, that's for sure. But... A lot is changing in this area. And um, speaking for Deutsche Post DHL, I would say 
that we really put a lot of focus on it. And it's, it's a key part of our, of our sustainability roadmap. I mean, diversity and inclusion um, as such is a key part of our sustainability roadmap, but also a really increasing the share of women in management. And to address this, um, I think, um, yeah, we, we have multiple programs in place as well, because I feel, I mean, we've both worked in sales, right? I mean, you uh, you really only kind of are successful if you, um, yeah, have um, have a sales pipeline if you kind of make deals, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I'm trying to bring in this kind of same mindset into um, into how we foster, um, let's say, a higher share of women in management. So we've got a program in place which is called Shift Up a Gear, which kind of means that we really need to accelerate our efforts here. I think these um, the topic has been acknowledged for quite some years, but we really need to accelerate here. So very practically speaking, what we've got, we've got a pool of talents for director, VP, SVP, EVP positions. And what we do is um, we provide these women with visibility to the top management. So they have get to know dialogues um, with the board. All boards are involved there. Very seniors in the um, leaders in the organization. But we also do a lot to support their own career development. Uh, we run career development workshops, but we also really boost the confidence because mm -hmm. it's not that we don't um, employ any women. Um, we've got actually quite a good gender balance in general, but um, we see still that women don't tend necessarily across the board, raise their hand if interesting positions come up. So that's something where we really foster. And amongst that is, what we've also detected that there's a huge power in peer coaching where mm -hmm. we bring these women together so that they can exchange and uh, yeah, provide them with a platform. So yeah, there is uh, something happening and I I'm sure, I mean, if you, if you follow us, you also see we've got more and more females appointed on top management level and the share of women in management will become bigger. I'm very convinced. Yeah. I mean, with, with this, uh, passionate and structured approach you are uh, you're just displaying I, i'm fully sure let me ask you um just to round this uh, up a little provocative question daniela uh -huh. um i mean i fully get it it's necessary it's required but how do your male colleagues mm -hmm. react to that do they fully embrace it are there still some skepticals how do you do how do you convince them I would say, to be fair, it's most probably mixed, right? And I mean, I can speak um, for myself. I mean, my husband as well, right? I've got these discussions at home as well, right? My husband is also like me, mid-40s, right? White, German, right? And um, the, the I would say the feedback is mixed. I think some really mm -hmm. see it as a threat. Like, okay, if there is now a super interesting senior vice president role, mm -hmm. would I still have the chances Mm. Um, or would they now prefer a woman? So I mm. think there is a lot of fear in there, although mm. I would say, I mean, I'm then trying to use data as well. I mean, we still have an overproportional promotion of men still, right? I mean, okay. if we inspire for 30% of women in management, that doesn't mean that we, as of now, only promote um, uh, women, right? 
But we also have really true ambassadors, male ambassadors, who I think had the opportunity to work in mixed teams already. Mm. And who then really report back and spread the world as well, because we obviously need male allies for that as well, who then report back and say, hey, the atmosphere in the team uh, really changes. Mm. I recently heard a speech of our um, um, CEO of the Middle East and Africa, Amadou Diallo. And uh, he then said also to other men, hey, it is different if we host meetings. And I cannot judge because I, I never can attend an only male round, right? But the discussions, the way we discuss, the way the behaviors really changes if you've got a few women in the um, group. So also one woman that necessarily is not enough. Um, so we need more. But yeah, I think um, it is um, it is something um, which is is not an easy fix. But um, yeah, we uh, we're working through that as well. I can fully echo that, Daniela. It's much more fun working with women in a mixed team. I, I fully agree on that. Daniela, <clears throat> we are almost at the end, but before closing, um, I would like to give you the opportunity. Is there any, any top tip you would like to give and share with young professionals? How can they, on, on what should they focus on for a successful future career? Not only the logistics, but let's say in business. Yeah, I would say going back to the point which I made at the very beginning, I would say about taking risks, like thinking about sometimes it might feel really uncomfortable, but to take some control risks as well, um, because it's not just, um, let's say, not just helpful for career progression. I mean, you grow so much with it, right? Mm -hmm. And I would say the second tip I think I would give is not to have... Um, and to have a, a compass in mind where you want to go, but really also stay flexible around along the journey. I mean, if you would have asked me, Paco, if we would have done this interview when we first met about 20 years ago, I would have not told you that I'm working in this role now. Um, but to really enjoy the journey as well and to keep kind of an inner kind of compass in terms of what you really like. And to really reflect on that, what gives me energy? Why do I get up on a Monday morning with a lot of fun? Is this right? And to constantly also to reflect on that. Am I still on the right path? Or and then if not, to have the courage also to adjust the journey. I think that these are the two tips I would give. These are very valuable tips, uh, Daniela. Uh, I really appreciated and enjoyed our conversation uh, this morning. Um, enjoy the pre-Christmas time, stay healthy, yeah. and thank you very much again for your time. Thank you very much, Paco. Always really nice talking to you. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.